You're listening to Long Distance. I'm Paula Mardo. For a lot of Filipino folks, this time of year often means Christmas and lots of food and family time. For others, this is a chance to reflect on the past year and get ready for the next one. So for this episode, I wanted to bring a very special hour of long distance to listen to during this very special time. Welcome listeners to the Long Distance Radio Hour, stories, music, and more from the Filipino diaspora. On this episode, stories from journalists Aurora Almendral and Susie Racho, music from artists Bamboo and Travis Atreo, something special from chef Isa Fabro, and more. But first, let's take a look back on this very memorable, kind of crazy year of long distance. And to do that, I'd like to welcome long distance producer, long distance TV director, and my partner, whatever... Patrick Apino. Hey, Patrick. What's up? First of all, can I just say how strange it is? We're 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 conversing. Yeah. We're having a conversation yeah. at long distance. We don't typically do this, but I'm super excited. Are you? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's weird. <laughs> Why? I don't know. What's so weird about it? Well, because I can hear you twice, but... Uh, oh, yeah, the headphone amp thing that we're using. We're testing out new equipment. So. Yeah, there's a lot of levels of things going on here. We're doing this. What I do, what I, what I like to do also is I put my ear out so that you can actually just hear me. Ah, you yeah. There's, there's the trick. Like a pro. Okay. okay. Man, there's been a lot going on this year. What were some memorable moments for you? Well, obviously, number one is uh, the Google Podcast Creator Program. That was uh, a huge, huge, huge part of our year. Can you explain what that is, just for people who may not know? Yeah, have it was, a clue. it's a accelerator program for podcasts, a lot of international podcasts, uh, some domestic ones. Uh, we were selected at the top of this year to be part of it, yeah. one of six shows for the first round. Out of over 6,000. Um, and Applications yeah. from over 100 countries. <laughs> you got, you got to get down. the numbers right. <laughs> but you're saying this was a highlight for you. Why? Because it was all podcast. 24 7 like all day all night there's a lot of podcasting this year that's for sure yeah i will say that you know we say that long distance is a podcast about stories in the filipino diaspora and i will admit we haven't really left the states for the most part although some stories have kind of gone out of the country in a scene or two here and there um i would like to go out more i would like to explore the diaspora and we'll get there. I think, you know, we're only on season two. Jeez, come on. There's so many places. Yeah. I mean, at least we've been to the South. Exactly. We've been to the East Coast. We'll be in other places in the U.S. potentially soon. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. There's a lot of stories out there. So kind of segue a little bit to another aspect of Long Distance. So it is a podcast, but we also this season launched a short documentary series, Long Distance TV. Now, before I start asking you about that, 
I don't know if people really know, you are a filmmaker. You really brought a sense of your narrative talents to the show. You really helped us translate the podcast onto a visual medium, which is long-distance TV. What's that process been like for you? Um, It's been different. It's been interesting. Honestly, like there have been times where it's been hard because when we have a date to shoot for a fixed amount of time, that's primarily for the podcast. The video is secondary. So I am essentially trying to capture as much material as possible without getting in the way. And that's really hard when every move you make makes a sound, right? The audio is constantly running. So it's been a challenge, but uh, I think I've, I've picked up some tips. Obviously, don't wear shoes and just walk around in your socks. The glamorous life of production. Yeah. Well, you brought up something I also wanted to talk about, which is the challenges of making long distance in general as a podcast and all the fun stuff that comes with it. I'm just going to speak on my end. You know, this started as a passion project. I launched Long Distance last October 2018. And honestly, back then, the podcast world felt a little bit smaller. And I don't know. I can't even explain it. Just different. And this year, a whole lot of things happened in the podcast industry. I don't even have to bring it up. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of content out there. We've talked about like, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not just competing with podcast space where, you know, there's Disney Plus, Apple TV, not that we're at that level, but the amount of content and news and media out there for people to consume, it's overwhelming even for me. Yeah. I mean, the fight for eyeballs and I guess now ears has been going on for a long time, at least like, you know, 10 years, 15 years maybe. And it just feels like there's a lot more noise, a lot more stuff happening right now. And everybody's competing against each other. And so I guess I just want to say thank you listeners for choosing to listen to Long Distance. I mean, I say this on social media a lot, but we are really, truly, truly thankful for your choice to listen to the show, to support it in any way you can, whether that's joining the Patreon, donating through a one-time donation on PayPal, sharing the show on social media, or telling a friend or family member about it, or just listening to every episode of the show, maybe even writing a review. I mean, all this stuff really, really helps, and I I can't thank you guys enough. I will say sometimes I I feel like giving up. I know this sounds super dramatic right now, but sometimes it it just feels like there's so much work to be done and, and, you know, we're putting so much stuff out there, but it's not quite catching. Every time I feel like kind of giving up, I get another message or, you know, someone shares the show and tags me or someone literally tells me in person that they've heard the show. So um, for that, I'm really thankful and I keep going. That was Patrick Apino and yours truly talking about this long year of long distance. Now, on the next segment of our Long Distance Radio Hour, time to listen to some audio stories. First up, a radio story from Susie Rocho, producer and director of the California Report magazine, a radio show from Bay Area NPR station KQED. Susie brings us a story from the California Report series, Letter to My California Dreamer, where listeners send letters to the family's original Californian. 
or the person who first came to the Golden State with a dream. This letter is from Susie to her father, Calixto. Dear Dad, you never really talked much. Mom was the social butterfly, hosting lively birthday parties and holiday meals. You were always quietly working in the background, cooking or getting the yard ready for guests. You came to California as part of a wave of young immigrants from the Philippines in the 1930s. You picked walnuts and other crops in the Valley of Heart's Delight, now known as Silicon Valley. But just because you were a migrant farm worker didn't mean you didn't have style. One of my favorite pictures of you was taken in a downtown San Jose photo studio. You and a friend in sharp suit suits with pointy lapels. Your shoes shined. I still have your sharkskin suits from the 1960s, custom made for your 5-2 frame. Stature is just one of the things we share. After years in the fields, you were just one of many Filipinos who volunteered to join the military. It was World War II, but at 32, you weren't exactly a kid. I'll never know what motivated you to join. Was it a chance to show patriotism to your adopted country? After being sent to Camp Beale in Yuba County for basic training, you became a rifleman in the U.S. Army, part of a segregated unit, the 1st Filipino Infantry. how it felt to navigate going from living in San Jose's Japantown to fighting Japanese forces in the Philippines. You saw combat, but you never talked about it. You earned a Bronze Star, and after four years, you left the Army a U.S. citizen. As a kid, I remember finding long shell casings in a box of your cufflinks and tie tacks. I didn't ask where they came from. Like you, I've learned to be strong and silent. You went back to work on the farms, but you weren't just picking. You were also developing horticultural skills. Our house had persimmon, plum, and apple trees and a full vegetable garden. One of your last jobs was growing roses in one of the big nurseries in the valley. By the time you met Mom and had me and my sister, you'd been married twice and you were in your 50s. Friends and teachers always thought you were my grandpa when you dropped me off at school. But you were my dad, an OG DIYer. There were trips to the hardware store and the lumber yard. I remember the pink playhouse you built for me and my sister, and the Saturdays you spent giving your friends haircuts in the garage. You were also the best barbecuer around. During Obon, you'd turn hundreds of pork and chicken skewers behind the grill at the Filipino Community Center. It wasn't until much later, after I began taking Asian American history classes in college, that I realized how much of your life mirrored what I was studying. Your history in the U.S. is Filipino American history. So it was my privilege, 27 years after you died, to represent you as you and your Filipino military brothers were finally awarded the Congressional Gold Medal for your service in World War II. Thank you. 
Just like your military service, you never talked about your California dream. But once you settled in the Bay Area, you never left, and neither have I. So maybe the dream goes on. Love, Susie. The California Report's Susie Rocho with a letter to her dad, Calixto. I scored this version of the piece, but for the original, head to kqed.org or longdistanceradio.com. I'll leave a link to the piece, which has some sweet photos of Susie's dad you will definitely want to see. Up next, from California, we head to the Philippines. In 2013, Typhoon Yolanda, also known as Haiyan, hit the country. Thousands of people died and millions were displaced. The destruction affected various sectors of Philippine society, including the country's sex trade. Aurora Almendral, a Filipino-American journalist based in Southeast Asia, produced this story about the aftermath of Yolanda and its effects on women sex workers for KCRW's unfictional in WGBH's Ground Truth podcast. When I first heard this story in 2016 on KCRW, it blew me away. At that time, I'd never heard an audio story about Filipinos told with such depth and care. I've been following Aurora's work ever since. I'll play an excerpt here and link to the rest on longdistanceradio.com. Here's producer Aurora Almendral. The international name for the storm was Typhoon Haiyan. But in the Philippines, everyone knows it as Yolanda. There was no real way to be prepared for the destruction. The first time I saw Tacloban was four days after Yolanda. We drove into the city in the back of an ambulance full of people who were coming to bring antibiotics, water, and food, and to search for the people they loved among the debris. Some of them would go on to reunite with their mothers and brothers and babies. Others would find only corpses. Some would find no trace at all and spend years holding on to the distant hope that one day their child would walk through the door and tell them about the miracle that saved their life. As we wound closer to the center of where Yolanda hit hardest, the broken coconut trees gave way to roofless buildings. And eventually, no buildings at all just shattered wood and crushed cement, as far as we could see. As I walked through the rubble, survivors crowded around me. Seven of us died, and my mother too, she says. Even my siblings, five of them died. We haven't found them, not a single one. A woman wept, thanking God that everyone in her family survived. 
but begging me to tell the world that what they needed now was food and water. This is one of my first reporting experiences. I'd never seen destruction like this before. I'd never seen the kind of grief and desperation that followed. The survivors I spoke to were heroic in their ability to move forward, to keep going in the face of unimaginable hardship and pain. Still, I wondered what kind of life could be built out of that destruction. In the Philippines, a nation of 7,000 islands, there's no debate about whether or not climate change exists. At most, people expect science to confirm what they already know to be true. I am Rodel Lasco, and I'm uh, one of the uh, scientists involved in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. It's At this point, there's no way to attribute one specific event, like Typhoon Haiyan, to climate change. But what we can say is that the Typhoon Haiyan is consistent with the projections that storms will be more and more intense. So even without climate change, we're already battered by typhoons. So what climate change will do is it will make it worse for us. Because if there will be more and more of these uh, high-intensity events or very strong typhoons, then that means we will be at harm's way more and more. One of the things that stuck with me when I was in Tacloban was something one of the United Nations relief workers mentioned. She said after a storm like Yolanda, first comes the humanitarian aid, then come the human traffickers. At the time, it felt too awful to contemplate that in the middle of all this destruction, traffickers would think to do more harm to the survivors. Darlene Pajarito heads up the anti-trafficking agency in the Philippines. She said when she turned on the television and saw the news of Typhoon Haiyan... Actually, the first thing that I thought of was really, this is going to be a feast for the human traffickers. They will have a pool of so many vulnerable people to prey on. This is a feast for them. And uh, they will definitely take advantage of those people there. And they did. It's impossible to know exactly how many people are trafficked after natural disasters. But international organizations and governments agree that the factors fueling human trafficking around the world, like poverty and lack of opportunity, are exacerbated by storms like Yolanda. 600 miles in several islands north of Tacloban is the city of Angeles. At its center is a place called Fields Avenue. Hordes of men on vacation amble up and down, leering at the women who are calling to them from the doorways. Men come to Angeles as sex tourists. This used to be a U.S. military base, and there are still a lot of Americans, soldiers and old vets and guys who like that the girls here speak English. There are Korean businessmen, British and German retirees looking to start over with a young wife, groups of men on holiday gearing up for a weekend of hedonism. Here in Angeles, the women are displayed. Inside, they're crowded onto a stage, thigh to thigh. I'm here because this is where girls from Samar and Leyte, the islands that saw the worst of Yolanda, end up. 
sex trafficking in the Philippines is more subtle than it sounds. Most of the time, it isn't a door sliding open on a windowless white van, snatching up a girl off the side of the road, then keeping her under lock and key, forced to perform sex acts for predatory men. This happens, yeah. But most of the time, it's a more subtle coercion. The girl herself, the one who's trafficked, may not know she's talking to a trafficker. Or if she knows, she may not care. Because what's really at play here, what's led to an estimated 400,000 people trafficked in the Philippines today, is the interplay of desperation and hope. It makes people get on a ship or a bus or a van, believing they're bound for something better. Samar and Leyte are some of the poorest parts of the Philippines. They've been vulnerable to trafficking for a long time. Every year, at least one major typhoon pummels their coastlines. For the women, survival and hope lies in a place where they can earn money. A place like Angeles. That was producer Aurora Almendral for KCRW's Unfictional and WGBH's Ground Truth podcast. What you heard was just part of a longer story available on kcrw.com and longdistanceradio.com. It was also produced by Rachel Rohr, Nathan Toby, Bob Carlson, Charles Sennett, and Marissa Miley. Sound design by Robert Anderson. Voiceover by Penelope Mendoza. It may have been produced a couple years ago, but its talk of climate change and poverty in the Philippines is still so relevant. For more of Aurora's work, visit aurora-amandral.com. We make our way back to America for a different kind of immigrant story. I often hear from listeners about how their families got to wherever they are in the diaspora, and these stories are often paved with surprises and hard truths. That's what happened to NPR producer Denise Guerra after she learned about a sort of family secret. She produced a story about this for NPR Weekend Edition. Here's part of it. One day a few years ago, I was driving through downtown Los Angeles with my dad, Manolo Guerra. He points to a building and says, Did you know that my dad killed somebody in that place? I almost missed the moment. I remember my response. Wait, what? It shocked me. I'd heard stories of my grandfather, Vicente Guerra. We called him Lolo, which means grandfather in Tagalog, a language of the Philippines. But I'd never even heard anything about Lolo coming to America much less that he killed someone. I remember that time you don't believe me. This is the immigrant story I knew. My father came here from the Philippines in the 1980s to give his family a better life. It was the quintessential American dream, or so I thought. All my father knew was that Lolo had been in a fight with some locals in Los Angeles. According to my dad, he was going in a restaurant. He was eating 
he went inside the restroom and two guys slit his neck. He survived, but Lolo never let it go. Two years later, he's cruising out with his friends and he sees the men who tried to murder him. And right there in there, my dad said, stop, I'm going to shoot them. And he has a driver, one of his friends, he said, don't stop the engine. When you hear a shot, just go and I will run and I will try to catch you, but don't make it too fast. Lolo was caught and sent to prison. That was it. That was the story. It was a lot to take in. I wanted evidence, so I went looking. Through old newspapers, went through state and national archives, and there I found his mugshot. He was a handsome man, 24 years old in a suit with slick black hair. The charge? Second-degree murder. His sentence? Five years to life in prison. I found another clue. A newspaper headline. Oriental killed. One shot. In love feud. There was Lolo's name and the name of the man he killed. A Filipino named Joseph Retotar. And that love feud? It was over an American woman. Who was she? Her name could be in a case file. On a muggy day, I went to the Los Angeles County Hall of Records looking for it. But when the archivist took the microfilm out of its box, it fell apart. I kept looking. I wanted to understand what Lolo faced when he came to America in the 1930s. I found history books about young Filipino men at that time. I tried to imagine them stepping foot off steamships into a new world. That's an excerpt from a story by producer Denise Guerra. It first aired on NPR Weekend Edition, and that original piece, complete with music and more, is available on npr.org and, of course, longdistanceradio.com. I think a lot of us can relate to Denise's yearning to learn more about family history, so give it a listen. Up next, music from the Filipino diaspora. Okay, fine. They're basically Filipino-American artists, but this is what I could gather in time, and these are the folks who responded to me and said, yes, totally down to play my music on long distance. Thanks, guys. I think what you're about to hear represents a nice mix of music and themes in the diaspora experience. And trust me, next time we do this, I am definitely down to include more artists and more stories from all over. So if that's you, hit me up. I'll be playing songs back-to-back for this segment, so now's the time to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Heads up, some songs do have a couple of swear words in them. First up, a kind of segue from our previous story. It comes to us from rapper Bamboo and his recent album, Exercising a Demon. Article 1, A Few Left. When this album came out late last year, it drew me in. If you've listened to it or even seen the artwork, you'll know why. Bamboo mixes music with audio documentary to tell stories we truly rarely hear about in the diaspora. Stories about gang life. I woke up suddenly from my deep sleep and there was a knock at the door. There were these two policemen banging at my door and it scares me. I opened it. And they're, you know, they just barged in my apartment. 
Where is he? And they woke up my son, who was sleeping on the couch. And they also awakened my daughter, and we were scared. And the policeman stopped me from going to the bedroom because he said I might have a gun. And then uh, they asked my son to dress, change his clothes, and they arrested him for uh, armed robbery. Imagine the most depressing moment that I felt. So worried about my son, I, I couldn't stop crying. I was so scared and I was so worried and I cried. I cried. I never cried before like that. Yo, I've been quiet most of the year, grew out the sash and the beard. I stopped hanging out with rappers cause they corny and weird. I adhere to different rules, I follow codes with a gun. The only codes you rappers know require dialing a one. I ain't the one, I am the sum of being raised to resist. This is before Donald Trump punk, I was brought up in this. I was raised by OGs from that set who used to rob and sell drugs, want no day job checks. See, I am different than these other Filipinos you met, whose parents finessed it. And worked it to the suburbs they left I never sat inside a Honda with the cannon exhaust I ain't hang up in poor models off my bedroom wall Nah, I was trying to fight these other immigrant kids in L.A. Frankie told me don't you ever let them get in your face And to this day I'd rather catch a bullet square in my pie Than to have another man say he got over on nine My old lady say I'm stubborn, I should quit while I can I told her, homie, you know what it is, I'm blam Blick-a-bam, somebody go get your man, I am blam Blick a bam, somebody go get your man. I am blam, blick a bam. My old lady say I'm stubborn, I should quit while I can. I told her, homie, you know what it is. I'm blam, blick a bam. Somebody go get your man. I am blam, blick a bam. Somebody go get your man. I am blam, blick a bam. Said I've been low for most of the year, grew my belly with beer. It's hard keeping trash rappers from polluting my ears. I adhere to different rules. See, there's a code where I'm from. The only code you busters know require dialing up. The soundtrack of Zanny rap make you feel older than old. I collect from little homies who jack hipsters for phones. They might break into your home, full invasion of home. But when Robin's the only option and you thin to the bone, you be like, fuck it, I'm gone. My mom and dad always gone. And them Americans is telling us that we don't belong. I'm a couple months away from filling bottles and carts. Was always profit over people, that's what sets me apart. From very start, on the set like a director in grip. They try keeping I was dumber than the president's kids Or like the president is And his administration See this is immigration Versus whatever he is I am bam, blick a bam Blam, blick a bam That's exactly who I am I'm a Gario Sakai With a musket in my hand Yeah, I'm blam, blick a bam Blam, blick a bam I am blam, blick a bam Blam, blick a bam, that's exactly who I am. I am blam, blick a bam. I'm a Kareyo Sakai with a musket in my hand. I am blam, blick a blam, blick a blam, blick a blacka, daka, daka. Wake us up. We've been sleeping, we've been dreaming, we've been happy with the cut. We need back, back. 
Silver Lakes today. Not what Mission is today. Not what Brooklyn is today. Not whatever neighborhood that's run the poor out of today. Hey, I remember I was a young teen and my mama heard a knock at the door. Dream.
was alone, I was annoyed. I was the one in the back of the boat, holding the pen, writing a song, head in the clouds, looking for answers, writing it down, look in the mirror, look what I found. The parts of me I hated, learn to keep it sacred. They said we wouldn't make it, now every ceiling vacant. Yeah, see a sunny photograph. Yeah, you can see us try to lie. We can find joy in life. We just try to make it last. Lola, if you saw me now, tell me what you say. Uh, who could imagine we'd be on stages if you saw me now? Yeah, if you saw me now. If you saw me now, yeah. If you saw me now, all my peoples in the ether looking down. Did I do you wrong or did I make you proud? All the places that I've been, all the faces that I've seen, I would trade them all to have you back around. I stay trapped in a maze. Play back all the playlists we made back in the day. Fade black, I take back that shit that I shouldn't have said. Fuck it, I said it, I guess. Put that shit in the wind. This the beginning or is it the end? I push forward, I push onward. Marching forward, walking awkward. Getting older, watching these young bucks go take it. Super kicking that fake shit. Holy shit, holy shit, where did all the fucking time go? Where did it all go wrong? Immortalize my memory, put my name in a song. If you could see me now, would you listen to sing along? And if you hear me now, will you play me when I'm gone? Used to look at titty rappers, now I'm moving like a rapper. No, we never looking backwards. Riding with the people in the back seat, Philippines on the chat list. If you take a land, we clapping. You can find us with a banner, you can read it with the masses. Reading fuck with fascists, fuck with fascists. Yeah, yeah, fuck with fascists. We the dreamers pulling borders down to dust. Yeah, imagining a world full of us. Kasama, if you heard me now, tell me what you say. Could you imagine we'd be on this stage if you saw me now? Yeah, if you saw me now. Yeah, if you saw me now. Yeah, if you saw me now.
was our musical set for this long-distance radio hour. Started off with Bamboo with Might Have a Gun featuring his mother and the song Blick-A-Bam. Bamboo's music is available at beatrockmusic.com. Next song on the set, Pam Reyes with Dear Dreamer. Find her on YouTube, Instagram, and pamreyesmusic.com. After that, you heard from Prometheus Brown featuring Sendai Era with If You Saw Me Now. Listen to more Prometheus Brown at prometheusbrown.com and beatrockmusic.com. Fun fact, Prometheus Brown, a.k.a. Geo, runs Hood Famous Bake Shop over in Seattle with his wife, Shara. Check them out, hoodfamousbakeshop.com. I have a t-shirt from there. It's sweet. Can't wait to try that Ube cheesecake soon. Last but not the least, you heard the song Right Here by Travis Atreo. An awesome artist. I've seen him perform live. He's great. He's got a debut album coming out early 2020, so look out for that. He's on Spotify, YouTube, Insta, all the things. Thank you again to all the artists for letting me share their music on this long-distance radio hour. I'll include all their links on the show site, longdistanceradio.com. for a quick break and a shout out i think i'm gonna need patrick back for this one hey patrick what's up do you like food yeah do you like learning new things uh hell yeah then you're definitely gonna love copper and heat a james beard award-winning podcast that explores the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurants it's hosted by katie osuna a cook and anthropologist Sounds delicious. Yeah. They're actually playing our episode about Amy Bessa and Romy Dorotan and their restaurant, Sandrion. So if you love that story, you'll probably want to check out Copper and Heat. So, uh, where can I listen to the show? So glad you asked. Your favorite podcast app, of course. I'll also link to them on our show site, longdistanceradio.com. Sweet. Up next, we have a really fun thing to share. Patrick, do you know Isafabro? Uh, who doesn't? Right. Well, for listeners who may not be familiar with her work, can you tell us a little bit about Chef Isa? Sure. Here's a bit from her website bio. Chef Isa Fabro is a Canadian-born Filipino-American. After working in both film and music, she became seriously ill. While in the ICU, she realized she would be happiest cutting carrots all day and decided to change careers. Isa then went to culinary school and worked at top LA restaurants like Church and State, Luke, even Lazy Ox Canteen, where, fun fact, Patrick and I actually met. Wait, what? 
Then, Isa went from savory cuisine to sweet. After a revelatory trip to the Philippines, she joined Filipino-American chef Alvin Kailan at Unit 120 in LA's Chinatown. Now home to Lhasa, by the way. But Unit 120 is where Isa says she found her voice and audience, making tasty treats like her Isa biscuits, ube latik butter, food for the gods pies, and Isa matas. Those Isa matas are good. So now, I wanted to share a clip from a new project by Chef Isa Fabro. It's a cooking show called Cooking with Sang and Isa, and it features Chef Isa and Chef Sang, who is an amazing Lao chef, by the way. Patrick, could you read the little blurb about their show? Totally. What happens when a Lao and a Filipino chef join forces? You get an explosion of flavors on your plate, but in this case, on your screen. Sounds tasty. Oh, yeah. In this first episode of Cooking with Sang and Isa, the two chefs get together to make dun, 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 a Lao papaya salad. Here's what that sounds like. What we have in front of us is our all the ingredients to make papaya salad, a.k.a. tamakong. Can you say that? So first thing is we need a papaya. So let's grab a papaya. This is the papaya that you're looking for, and you want one that's unripe, that is important. But it's firm, right? Yes, it's very firm. Very firm. We are going to take the, the skin off of this firm papaya. Wow. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> wow. I'm okay. actually really impressed. You're really fast. Oh. oh my God, this is so great. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is slicing up that papaya like crazy. So this is actually the kind of thing, for once, I will say you need to see to truly enjoy. It's a video, of course. So please check out Cooking with Sang and Isa. It's now playing on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram TV. And follow Sang and Isa on Instagram to get the latest on their food projects and more episodes of the show. Sang is at I am Sang. That's at I-A-M-S-A-E-N-G. And Isa is at I-S-A-F-A-B-R-O at Isa Fabro. We are almost at the end of our long-distance radio hour. Thank you so much for sticking around, listeners. You're welcome. I was talking to the listeners. <laughs> Before we sign off, Patrick and I are going to answer some of your listener questions. Last week, I asked folks on our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know the drill, to send us questions about the Filipino diaspora, the stories you hear on long distance, and how we make the show. Basically, anything and everything long distance. We got some great questions and we're going to try and answer some of them today. Patrick, are you ready? Uh, yes. All right. So question one is from Arabantug on Instagram. What equipment and programs do you use? What's your travel setup like? Sounds awesome. When I first started podcasting in general, I was using what I had. I did not want to spend money if I didn't have to. So if you're just starting out, I would recommend Honestly, starting with what you have, whether it's voice memo on your phone or GarageBand on your MacBook, if you have a MacBook. The one thing I did spend on immediately was I bought two mics on like Amazon. They were like Audio-Technica. I believe they were AT2100s. Basically, they were $60 mics, USB mics. So I could just plug them into my computer. I didn't need a mixer or anything. And as far as the equipment and programs we use today, I mean, just very quickly, when we record narration or this conversation right now, we use Shure mics, the Shure SM7Bs. I use a Zoom H6 in the field as a mixer. Right now, we're recording 
in a makeshift home studio using a Focusrite, Scarlett 2i2 Focusrite. And I record into Pro Tools and I mix in Pro Tools. Oh, I will say about mics, when I am out in the field, I tend to like to use shotgun mics the best because I feel like it's the most flexible. These days I use a Rode NTG2, which I really, really love. It works great with the Zoom. These are really professional kind of items. You know, these are things you get after a while, if it's worth the investment anyway. Next question from Jen. How do you find the stories in your show? Paula tells me what to do. <laughs> Stop. Honestly, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of talking to people. Yeah, putting yourself out there, talking to folks and seeing what's uh, what kind of perks your ears. You have, a, you have a good ear for a good story. No, Why, thank you. I try. I I try. Sometimes I just fall in love with an idea. And even if there's no story, I'm like trying to pull one out. It's hard. That's where you come in and you're like. No story here. (laughs) Exactly. Last question from Lauren. What's your approach to writing the narration for long distance? Well, let me tell you. Just kidding. I don't write it. You write some of it. Some of it we we ad lib. The conversations that we have end up scripted into the show. Totally. And that's super organic. But as far as writing, I mean, a lot of it is, and this is the thing about writing for radio or for podcasting, is you're writing for the ear, not for the eyes. So sometimes when you write something, it looks good. But when you say it, it doesn't sound good. So a lot of script writing for radio slash podcasts, at least when I do it, I write some of it down and then I say it out loud. And that helps me understand, you know, and, and see if this works for the script or not. And sometimes I think it works and then I read it to Patrick and it does not make sense. I'm like, I don't understand what you just said. (laughs) And that's called the editing process. All right. Anything else, Patrick? Any last thoughts to leave our listeners with? I really like doing the radio hour. This is fun. Can we do like the radio three hour? Oh my God. The radio marathon hour. Sure. Actually, we've been talking about finding ways to do this more often. Maybe in the off season. Yeah. Ooh, off season. Off season. There's an off season. Yeah, man. After season two, we got to take a break before we make the next season. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for hanging out and staying tuned to this long-distance radio hour. Patrick, pleasure as always. Totally. Now get back to work. Just kidding. We're definitely working hard on the next episodes of Long Distance. We've still got the rest of Season 2 coming in the new year, so please subscribe, listen, and tell people to check out the show. Friends, family, whoever. And if you'd like to take the next step and support Long Distance, there are so many ways to help from joining our Patreon to making a one-time donation via PayPal or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. It's that easy. I've listed all the ways you can help Long Distance on longdistanceradio.com slash support.
This episode was written, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, Paul Amardo. Long Distance is produced by Patrick Apino and me. Patrick, why didn't you do this part? You can listen to the stories and music you heard on this episode on our website, longdistanceradio.com. Plus, you can catch up on other Long Distance podcast episodes and episodes of Long Distance TV, the documentary video series for this podcast directed by me. Sup? This season of Long Distance is produced with support from PRX and the Google Podcast Creator Program. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions, Bamboo, Pam Reyes, Prometheus Brown featuring Sendai Ira, Travis Atreo, Sea Light and the Prisms, and Jenna Fuentes. Special thanks to Janelle Kabuyan, Jenna Molster, and Bob Carlson. That's it for this episode of Long Distance. We'll be back in the new year. To close this episode out, we're playing a new song from Sea Light and the Prisms. Sea Light is responsible for our awesome theme song, and he's got a new track featuring Jenna Fuentes called Passerby. Have a great holiday. We'll be back in a few weeks. Thanks for listening.